porn is an experience. Hello and welcome to Grumpy Old Bands number 218 for Wednesday. Wow, is it Wednesday? April 12th, 2023, I 12th. think. Yeah. Just time flies when you're Invest having fun. Invest in a calendar, dude. <laughs> no, it's on one of my devices somewhere. I am coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside a shy rack where the weather is heating up, which only means the body count will too. And from America's left coast, where companies move fast and break your things, I'm Ryan Bemrose. Aren't they supposed to, though, so your garage doors can open and close at somebody else's convenience or something like that? If they broke their own things, they'd be wasting precious VC money. Oh, yeah. And they don't want to do that. (laughs) They don't want to do that. But, uh, yeah, we're a couple minutes late on the live stream. People are all upset. Like, where are you? Where's the show? And I'm like, send more money. If you, yeah, if, if they would, you get what you pay for, people. If they would only send more money, and I wouldn't the, have the to. People, el- the people who paid more than two hundred dollars for this episode already got the better episode that we caught, started on time. Right, that was let's beautiful. Just, let's just go with that. That goes out to only the people that support the show, though. Right, it's a huge paywall. You have to find it, though. Yeah, but if they would send more money, I probably allegedly wouldn't have to pirate some plugins, which I think were then causing a problem with. Adobe Audition, who oh. allegedly uh, maybe didn't like the it was not it was pausing the interface like every for about five seconds, every few seconds. So oh. I had to go back in and get That's, a whole clean template without any of the plugins. I that that oh, I hate debugging timing bugs. That that was my the worst race conditions and timing bugs was like. Heisenbugs is what we called them back in the day. You're like, how? Oh, what is it? I don't know. It's not saying it's not. Yeah. And it's just, it sits there and you're like, well, then no. you can't. It's so annoying because you can't okay. do anything. Silly question. Speaking yeah. of plugins, do sure. we still use the uh, Blueberry PowerPress plugin for GOB? I know you run the yes. site there. Yes. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like it's not giving me enough control for publishing on Angry Tech News. And it could be that I just need to take an update, <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm trying to decide if I need to go to uh, like uh, Cold Assets podcast creator or if I just need to start, uh, you know, hack together some PowerShell scripts that build my own XML file and upload it myself. You know, if I really hate myself. Right. That would be the most work out of all those ideas. Yes. Yes. By quite a bit. And Cold Acids little project is it's simple. And I don't know if it's much more if it supports the tags then that's all i really need but they both do but the only way the cold acid supports the tags is the same way that i get blueberry to support the tags and that's by going in and editing a text file it's just in a more convenient place in cold acids okay so powershell it is right let's do it you can make a ton of money that could be your exit strategy if i'm gonna have to do a bunch of extra work on top of whatever plugin does it for me then then i'm just writing a script and the capabilities to be fair to the guys over at PowerPress at blueberry they have added 
a lot of the features that I am still hacking in. And it's mainly oh, then the they're uh, working hard They're I mean, I've got no complaints about them. I have I, one. Okay, good. And that good, is, I was, I was coming short here. Yeah, this is uh, the, and it's probably totally irrelevant. And it's just me being an asshole. Cause that happens all the time. And that is adding the feature to be able to take the boostograms and streaming sats and pulling the, well, by using this, we're going to force you to give us 3% of anything you get. And that I don't like. Let me decide. <laughs> this is the value for value fucking concept. I might decide to give you 10% because it's like you're making my life really fucking easy. But when you come in and say, we are taking 3%, whether you like it or not, I'm like, but I can just edit a fucking text file and give you nothing. Yes. So it's not that hard of a thing that's, to do. That's the weakness in the system. And it's not true value for value. When, and you know, they've, they've had this debate about fees in the podcasting 2.0, uh, the, the podcast index social, whatever they've had the debate about what's a fee. And, but I, let's just be clear. If you're charging a fee, that's not really supposed to be optional, then it's not value for value. It's something else, but I don't know. I don't have a problem giving them some of my sats. And maybe that's because, you know, they're making a grand total of about four sats a year off of me. Right. Well, that's it with the Satoshis lately. It's like, well, there are none coming in. So maybe, maybe you just turn that part off. I don't know. I don't know. But I don't like the forcing. It's like, again, as Adam Curry on No Agenda has evangelized, I think is the right word. When you ask for a set amount, you're going to get a set amount. And uh, we learned that across a wide variety of things. But if you just say, give us what it's worth to you. Sure. Some people are going to be like me and go, fuck you. It's only editing a text file. I'm giving you nothing. But there may be some people that are like, hey, I'll give you 5%. I'll give you 10% because you guys are doing good work and you're saving me time. Yeah, I I like the 5, 10%, whatever. Yeah, you can have 10% of my nothing. Yes, 10% of nothing comes out. Because you deserve it. Yes, I'm doing absolutely <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Well, that, but see, it, it all adds up, and then it's a pain in the ass. It's like, oh, well, if you want your boost to show up on the boost bot, which is kind of cool, well, that's going to cost you 1%. And then if you want this other analytics thing, well, then you have to send them at least 1%. And then by the time you're done with it, there's nothing getting back to the podcaster because hardly anything's coming in in the first place. And it is there is a weird mental break because you're looking at this rationally and in the correct way, which is like, hey, I'm making like, 20 bucks a year on this. So whatever the percentage is, I don't care. I'm yeah, looking flat, at it as the other a flat side fee on 20 bucks a year is, is not really worth it. No a percentage of 20 bucks a year. Hey, you know, I knock yourself out, go buy yourself a few teaspoons of coffee or something, you know, but some people like me are looking at it the other way, which is like, I'm only making 20 bucks on this fucking thing. And you want to take two? fuck you. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it, it's how got, it works. We got some complaints. Last well, week, not a first. Yeah, well, what a surprise that uh, apparently our show was too deep into politics. There was too much politics and not enough tech on our show last week. That's probably true. I, I I think it's probably true. I, I mean, it, the first complaint, you know, when, whenever you the first one comes in, you're like, eh, this person's an idiot. They they can be disregarded. We we don't need to listen to them when there's only one, or when it's you know the person who said, oh. Um, but I got a second one actually last night. Bemlet confirmed that uh, he said <laughs> this was I 
I don't know whether or I should apologize or bask in this glorious praise. He said, <laughs> he said, the first half of your show last week was so political that I had to turn it off because I was listening to it on the way to work and I didn't want to, I didn't want to arrive at work pissed off. So I had to turn it off and switch to something else. I mean, grumpy's right in the name, Bemlet. I mean, it is. And, and that's what you get. And, and I promise you, if Bemlet hasn't already finished re- listening, the second half of the show, we had some tech. It was there. Even, even our first complainant uh, came back an hour and a half later and said, oh, okay. You know, first half was too much pol- politics, but you had tech later. And I'm not going to say who it was, but the voice might give it away. And it, it is a, it seemingly is a weird combination. Although I was doing this with another guy like 15 years ago, and it was the same thing, which was like, well, we want to cover both. And I guess we're always too lazy or too stupid to be like, you know, we could do two different shows. We could- I'm really <laughs> just here to work through my emotional issues. And I'm, I'm, I'm really only here to talk about things that make me grumpy. And for the most part, tech and politics are it. Yes. And the world of politics, I will agree with, is way oversaturated everywhere. And unfortunately, the world of tech now in this new AI centric world is all AI and has become fucking boring. I did finally break down and bring some AI stories today just to to placate. I mean, not not necessarily specific like technology stories. They're political stories about AI. Are we going to scoop AI not cooking like Hagen dies? I doubt it. I doubt it. Those people are on the ball. Uh, you know, I I got a story from yesterday that they've probably already released. The world right now, though, it's a weird thing because really, it's uh, most podcasts they do they stick in unless you're a purely conversational podcast. What this is probably what this should be viewed as or that's only can you view a podcast but i think people should yes understand pay the extra for the video feed you you should it's a great video feed it's cheap too it's only like 20 dollars a day yeah now they should look at this show as two old dudes talking about whatever's on their mind it's not a tech show it's not a political show and I know that's hard because almost every other podcast, well, everyone that is uh, is is quality and have a lot of listeners, they probably have like one very specific topic. In well, other shows that are quality, I love how you say that. Right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in this show, I don't know. Um, but you know, you could go all tech, but it would be boring. You could go all yeah, politics. That, I did that be, show yesterday. It would be enraging, you know, which isn't necessarily you did that show two days ago right so you know you get this is somewhere in the middle because i mean i don't know the i used to follow tech news a lot more it's become nearly impossible because of the devices we have now when you look at the specs on things like the new apple units when you look at the new specs on things like the latest cell phones from whoever you're like this is way too much fucking power than anybody will ever need to do anything. For for the last four years, tech has kind of devolved into, you know, you go through a long list of tech stories and I do this every week. I have to, uh, you've got, uh, um, you know, uh, hack social app, app, social hack, hack, social app, 
uh, you know, maybe once in a while you get some fluff piece about quantum says, Oh, look at this really cool stuff that the, uh, you know, press releases rumors. It, there's not a lot out there that it's hard to sift through. And then the last few months it's changed. Now you have that same mix, but interleaved every single other story is here's the exact same story, but said with AI in the title. Right. I don't know. It's, it's all about AI. Oh, let us it, see it what chatbot can do. It makes me angry that I have to do a tech news podcast. And it's not even really tech. It's just what the average person's going to be using. So it's not aimed at a tech audience. This is what the Luddites are going to be using instead of search or when they want to write their dissertation, they're going to go find a chatbot to do it for them. Yeah. I- I do. I I disproportionately, I recognize I disproportionately cover uh, the hack stories where something gets broken into. And part of it is that I'm always looking for an angle where I can point out how Silicon Valley is not all that because that every other tech blog in existence and story, the, you know, the ones that like this week in, in pandering to Silicon Valley are always, Oh, the, this, thing happened it's great the the this technology is great this is great we love this technology and i don't i don't want to be that plus i don't like silicon valley so i'm always trying to cover the hacks but i tell you the other reason why i really like doing my research on the hack story is that if i dig down deep enough and i get say to the security researchers website where they actually publish the details i can find actual technical meat to it and figure out oh they're doing a you know, a, a loop counter integration vulnerability. That's not even a thing I just made up, but, uh, and, you know, actually understand, like, I feel like my brain is, is starting to unshrivel when I finally get down to the nitty gritty of what's going on in the hack. And then I have to come out and, you know, package it like, so that people who don't know what a loop counter integration vulnerability is can still understand what I'm talking about. So of course, I, you know, I, uh, I'll shut up now. Well, that's so it's everything you get now is mainly clickbait. Yes. And, and that's well, the problem. Clickbait. You know, it's like, oh, no, come read this. Oh, all, the, all these garage doors are hacked. And then you go in and like you read the story and it's like, well, if they can get access to the garage door and push the button, well, then <laughs> then you're going to be in real trouble. That's actually how most vulnerabilities work. It is. Somebody can get in the closer if they can get access to your machine, they can do some really bad things and there was a story about some garage doors that was one of the big things recently the other the little flipper thing that they i think we talked about that a little last week that they don't sell at amazon anymore because it's such a dangerous hacking device yes i know linux uh, linus on uh, youtube covered that and that was one of his few of his videos that i actually watched and it's like this is all just very boring pedestrian stuff there is nothing going on in the tech world that is groundbreaking that is really doing anything new it's all incrementally increasing capabilities of whatever devices out there and it's like that's pretty boring i think we all understand as new machines come out we at least we hope the cpu is going to be a little faster the memory is going to be a little faster everything's going to be slightly improved but and the reality of that is, you know, a tablet from like three or four years ago still works really, really well. Well, and Gordon Moore is dead. So, right. So that Moore's law gone. No more. <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> you think your CPUs are getting faster. No, the one person who was holding up the progress of all chips has finally gone away. They're going to start. We're going to slide back pretty soon. We're going to have the Pentium bug again. You know, and what we're seeing as well, I thought this was interesting because I'm like, oh, whatever happened to that Helm device that would allow you? It was basically, I believe, when somebody tore it down, the hardware was kind of a glorified Raspberry Pi with a big hard drive added to it, which was you could run your own mail server. It's going to be super secure. It's going to be great. And I believe, I mean, I'd have to go back and find the episode where we talked about it, but I believe we kind of torpedoed it as, well, you see, here's the problem. It still requires a service from this company in order to route your mail to the port that you need it to, because your local home ISP, like Comcast or whoever charter you got, they do not want you running your own mail server or any server really most of the time. Yes, which is home. why I don't tell them that I'm running it, of course. Exactly. Well, you could route ports yep. around, but the the big ports, like the ones for mail, they're like, nope, we're just going to block those so you can't have it. Yes, yes, that that happens with most ISP. I, I don't even get that. Like, seriously, home broadband, can you imagine how much the internet revolution would have gone farther if ISPs gave you ample upload bandwidth and didn't care if you ran services from your home? Right. Because, I mean, really, what kind of bandwidth does an email server take? I, almost nothing. Uh-huh. I used to do it on my modem. Which almost makes me think they just want to read your email to sell yeah. you ads. Here's the other reason, though, that that service never went anywhere, is that you can't call it a mail server anymore. That's misgendering. <laughs> well, is that why they went under? They're gone, which I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> Helm's gone very much like the Winston privacy device, which we talked about here, which I thought was a great little device. That was a great idea, and I'm sad that that didn't become a huge thing, but I'm not really surprised. No. Well, because, again, you're going against what the governments basically want, which is the ability to track you at every last step, which is why we mentioned the Mulvad browser on the last episode, which goes to the extent of trying to not have you be fingerprinted. That is the thing. When you go from website to website, it can tell so much about you. We talked about that a couple of years ago, that every website you go to can read things like what fonts you have, and they can put together because your machine is fairly unique, even though they may not have your IP address. If you're being tricky and you're on tour or you're on a VPN, they can still tell what machine it is. So you're only so anonymous if you don't take some major steps to try to obfuscate what you have on your machine. So, yeah, that was a bummer when the Winston privacy thing went down because I thought that was a really cool idea to be able to share your bandwidth. And they did not do any video streaming. So it wasn't like there was a ton of yeah. bandwidth hitting. They, they didn't want to share all your bandwidth. Right. Only if you like your little if you were going from on a web, you know, website to website, doing email, stuff like that, they would route it through somebody else's machine and then to you. So they couldn't tell where you were your ip address would constantly be changing which was great but no not anymore and the helm server gone which means anybody it's, that put money into that i'm guessing this no longer works because you can't get the email forwarded I, to those ports every single time that you sign up for something that has a cloud service just understand and i certainly ranted about this about xbox the other day 
the service will go away eventually. The companies, there is no company out there that is going to keep a service up forever. So if you want to use it indefinitely, you'd better be running it locally. Yes, which I, a lot of people don't know how to do or can't I do. do lo- I, I, I lament the loss of these services, but I'm not, you know me, I'm always quick to blame the government for everything bad that happens. It's part of part of the libertarian mindset. I don't think that you can necessarily blame the government for things like the privacy services like Winston going out, though. We have a real problem, something that this podcast, for example, tries to address, but we only have so many people that we can reach. There are a lot of people out there who just do not give a crap about their privacy still. Oh, that's true. And they should, but they don't. And so, you know, if you want a service that is compromising privacy, then there are plenty of people to jump on it. So I actually brought uh, at least one story of an impressive hack, but I feel like just in honor of uh, our detractors, maybe we should start with something overtly political. <laughs> Why would you do that? Why? Because I hate you all. Oh, I, I that is actually our uh, that is our strategy here on Grumpy Old Bands. We have a very simple motto: We're not happy until you're not happy. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. So this one this one comes from Breitbart. You know it. That's going to be balanced. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit to the right. A little bit. Um, and more importantly, uh, this most of the content for the Breitbart came from a person, uh, a, a quote prominent evangelist named Franklin Graham. I've never heard of him. So apparently not that prominent, but whatever. Um, <clears throat> the story is the, or uh, comes out of Oregon. Uh, Jessica Bates, a quote, Christian and single mother of five. I'm not certain that those two statements work well together, but I guess, I don't know. Like uh, if you're single, stop having kids. <laughs> you, Anyway, is trying to adopt a child, wants to make it six for a single mother, a Christian. Um, the Oregon Department of Human Services says uh, that uh, in, in their guidelines for personal qualifications of applicants and certified resource families for adoption, say that prospective adoptive parents must respect accept and support the race, spiritual beliefs, sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression, disabilities, national origin, cultural identities, immigration status, socioeconomic status, and the whole long list of woke things that you're not supposed to uh, discriminate with uh, of any child or young adult in the care or custody of the department. And Ms. Bates uh, said that when she filled out the form with the Oregon department, rather than do what every other person in this case would be, which is just lie, shut up, say what you need to say in order to make the stupid bureaucrats go away said, uh, God gives us our gender or sex. It's not something we choose. And I am not going to, basically she said, she's not going to, uh, pander to the gender identity and gender expression of a child because she does not believe that that's uh, that, that the children should be, choosing their own gender. They, she, she is one of those whack jobs who believes that you come with a gender and that's yours for life, whether you want it or not. Uh, and by one of those whack jobs, you mean like 98% of the, of the, yeah. of the free world, a, a normal person. Yeah. A Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it is. It is in fact still, uh, believe it or not, the most widely followed religion in the United States, at least 
is Christianity, which, uh, among other things, does not condone the idea that people should be randomly switching genders. Um, I, I, my personal objections to that are the fact that you can't and you will badly fuck yourself up if you try. But, uh, you know, the religion, if if the woke genderists can spew their religion all over the kids by teaching them about transgenderism, then Christians should also have the right to tell your kids about Jesus. Right. Well, that but, was the point that I made exactly on the random thoughts that I have yet to release. Cause again, having audio issues this morning, but everybody that was like so upset that Bud Light dared to send a can to a Dylan Mulvaney. Oh, that was such a stupid story. I know. But now what do you think would happen if Bud Light sent a can to, and I was trying to think of a good person cause I don't really know any highly religious influencers, but this Franklin Graham, for instance, this is Billy Graham's kid. But what if they sent one to Ben Shapiro or Glenn Beck or Charlie Kirk or Candace Owens? Do you think the trans uh, and again, I'm going to separate the trans community from the activist trans community. Do you think the activist trans community would have been like, oh, that's great. He got one, too, just like Dylan Mulvaney. No. You know that the activist trans community, if Bud Light were to have sent something like that to one of those sorts, would have been all over the Internet. Oh, ah, boycott Bud Light, boycott Bud Light. They're, they're, they're homophobes, they're transphobes. Oh, my God. I honestly do not think that there is anything that Bud Light's marketing can do to make their beer not taste like piss water. Well, this is also true. I, I was trying to remember in my life, and I'm 53 now. I do not recall ever drinking a Bud Light. I, I, I've done I've done that on two occasions. One was when you're a poor college student and you are, you know, our, our go to at the time was uh, usually bush ice, which is some of the nastiest will you can possibly get. I'm not even but familiar was, with bush ice. It was at least I don't know. This was they might not exist anymore. This was might have 25 been years ago. People in college, but uh <laughs> I, I, they, I don't know how many college kids that they destroyed their brains of, but uh, that was our go-to because alcohol per price, it was absolutely the best. And it, it was, they didn't screw around. They didn't care about taste. It was just, let's put some high alcohol into your system. And we were all alcoholics. So it was important. The can um, was just a plain then, white with black text that said Bush ice. That was even it. then. Bud Light was not something we were going to consume very much of because it has a very low alcohol content, which meant that you have to drink a lot of it, which meant that the it it had to be on a really, really steep discount in order to pick up just because, you know, if if you have to buy two 24 packs just to get a buzz, then <laughs> you guys were drinking a lot, weren't you? Oh, we were drinking a lot. This was also the period in my life where uh, my uh, my roommate and I. We wanted to go out to the bars for the evening. So around 4, 4.30 p.m., we'd go down to the store and buy a 24-pack and split it so that we could have a buzz when we went to the bar so that we didn't have to pay bar prices for pitchers of beer. You could just sneak some in. Uh, no, not, not in Pullman. Uh, trust me, every... 
every trick that anybody ever thought of, these bouncers know about. There, <laughs> uh, as much as as Pullman was a professional drinking town, the bouncers there, they they knew it. They were top notch. Got lots of respect for the bouncers at those bars for what they had to deal with. But anyway, and I do want to say, Net Net is taking umbrage with you saying you were alcoholics hey i am chugging <laughs> coffee right now there's in fact no alcohol in this coffee i am this grumpy without any whiskey right now yeah he'd be mellow if you had a few beers there would be the that other little, that would be situation that yeah the other situation and and i i almost am loath to admit this because it's it's a point of shame for me but but there's a good reason for it is bud light we have always considered to be a go-to boat beer um when we we had a when I was growing up, we had a water ski boat. Uh, the, the, we would still have it, except that um, it literally fell apart after 35 years of use. Um, but wait, you and Bemlet using a boat and it lasted 35 years. That must have been the best constructed boat in the history of boats. It, it actually was. If you know anything about boats, this one was a Sea Ray and it was a Sea Ray before Bayliner purchased the company, which Bayliner was budget bottom of the ocean boats. And Sea Ray was actually really good. And Bayliner bought them, slapped the Sea Ray name on their cheap, shitty boats. And suddenly, almost like within a year, all the Sea Ray boats were suddenly built out of uh, cheap cardboard. But that that notwithstanding, nobody here has a clue what a Sea Ray boat is. Like I said, they got bought out back in the 80s. But uh, it was a quality boat, but it was a water ski boat. It didn't have, you know, it didn't, it had an open bow. It didn't have a cover. Um, There really wasn't anywhere you could go that you weren't in the sunshine. You know, back in the eighties, nobody really used sunscreen. So of course, all my skin cancer is from going out on a lake or a river and spending hours and hours and hours in that boat with no protection whatsoever from the sun, because who knew that the sun was a problem? And when you're in that much sunlight, uh, we would fill the cooler with, uh, you know, a 24 pack or more of Bud Light. And the reason is that the Bud Light was slightly more sanitary than drinking the river water to keep hydrated <laughs> and didn't and tasted almost as good. Like this is almost just like bringing water. It, it actually was. So the entire point was you're out there drinking beer. You're drinking beer the whole time. You're getting dehydrated as shit, partly because you're drinking beer, but partly be, because you're out in the hot sun. Um, you're diving into the river every five minutes to cool down, which I mean, was awesome. This is how I grew up. I absolutely loved that boat. But you want to hydrate and you want to drink alcohol because you're out there uh, and so Bud Light was the best of both worlds. It is, it has alcohol in it, but it has so much water in it that your the rate of dehydration is lower. So that but massive uh, detour from our conversation. But well, I'm that just thinking was you're the doing the place. marketing for them, which is, hey, drink Bud Light because the yeah. alcohol level so low, you can stay hydrated on those hot summer days. But I'm telling you, drinking from the river tasted better. <laughs> That's not a good sign. <laughs> Not a good sign. You know what's in that river? I I know I know exactly what I did in the river after having four or five Bud Lights. It's got to go somewhere. I mean, <laughs> what what's the benefit of having having a swimsuit and like, oh, I got to pee, and you don't, you know, there's there's no cover anywhere. Everybody for a mile in any direction can see you. So 
you don't pee off the side of the boat. You don't pee in the boat because you, we definitely didn't have a urinal. No, you dive in the water and then you let go while you're all underwater. Nobody can see you. And it just adds to the flavor of the river, makes the river taste a little more like Bud Light. Adds to the flavor of the river. <laughs> wow. Anyway, <laughs> you were you were making a point about Bud Light when I. Was I? Because my- now <laughs> I've totally, totally gone off the rails at that okay. point. But the, I mean, the point was, I think that if Bud Light went in the other direction and see, this is, I think. Companies that are going to get involved with this kind of marketing at this point. And again, television is gone, except for maybe a few live sports here and there. Newspapers are gone. Radio is basically gone. So when companies want to market their product, they're going to do more and more of this kind of marketing with influencers or whatever you want to call these people on social media. But you got to be careful then if you're going to a far left or far right person, you better try to balance it out. And then I want to see what both sides do. Cause I want to know what it would it be like equal outrage if Dylan Mulvaney and whatever conservative Christian person, if they both came out on the same day with like, Hey, Bud Light sent me a custom can and I'm going to be a product ambassador for them. Then you know, whatever it is, I bet that Breitbart and HuffPo would both write articles about it and how it horrible it was. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And Bud Light would be like, well, see, but we're on we're, we want to be that is being truly inclusive. Being inclusive is not pandering to the far left trans activists and saying that the far right people are bad. That's not being inclusive. As a total aside, I am extremely happy with the trend I'm finally seeing where corporate boards are. Uh, and and maybe it took an economic downturn to do this, but corporate boards are finally looking and going, are diversity department has 300 people in it who are all damaging our productivity and not bringing anything to the bottom line. Maybe we don't need this weight millstone around our company. And maybe we don't need anything that's not making our brand better or making us money. Yeah. And, and, and companies whose boards like board of shareholders are voting to completely ditch the, uh, the, what, what is CSG? Like, oh, you know what? Our company actually doesn't, or ESG, Environmental and Social Governance, which is the the score that leftists started giving companies to find out how woke you are. And companies going, you know, this is actually hurting our bottom line. And so as a board of shareholders who are legally obligated to make money and not necessarily legally obligated to save the earth, we're just going to ditch that. And I'm also pleased at that. A little sanity would go a long way at this point. Yes. And and I think, you know, when when the economy was flush and companies were making money hand over fist, they could afford to be as woke as they wanted and virtue signal because they're like, well, in some uh, undefinable way, it's improving our brand or something. But now that that they're having trouble making money, they're like, "Uh, you know, actually, we don't need 735 HR people anymore. Uh, Mabel's the only one doing all the things we need. The rest of them are just giving diversity seminars. Yeah. To nobody. Yeah. And, um, thank you, Mabel for, uh, holding the company together. People have to realize at some point you keep thinking there's gotta be that blowback point, that snapback point where the far insane ideology has been pushed so far that people 
have no other choice but to go, wait a minute, this is fucking stupid. And my faith in humanity was shattered by the fact that it didn't happen five years ago. But I'm happy that it's at least starting to now. Well, that is it. I don't understand how it continues accelerating, it seems, how it's continuing to move as the Overton window does, but it's continuing to move to the left. And I still contend it all started like 15, 20 years ago with, oh, the kids are being bullied. This was it, the start it of started 20, 25 years ago with the, yeah, the anti-bullying movement. Yes. And now it's, you're calling me the wrong pronoun. Fire them, fire them. And I, I am pleased that I got out of public school. I escaped shortly before all of the really, really child screwing up tech uh, things started coming in like zero tolerance. Like, uh, I mean, okay. Anyway, so, uh, Jessica Bates wanted to adopt so that she could become a single mother of six. Um, I, again, I, 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 you know, I don't judge. And she seems to have the financial ability to do so. You know, if if everything else on her form was good, I don't think Oregon should stand in the way. But uh, she claims that uh, the reason why she was denied adoption was because of her religion, which would be right there grounds for a lawsuit. And if if the state of Oregon had competent employees, they would have shut the fuck up right there so as not to feed the lawyers. But um, fortunately for us. The state of Oregon imply or you know employs woke morons uh, like the certification officer for Oregon DHS, who in fact confirmed in a statement that Bates was ineligible to adopt due to her religious beliefs. Ooh, uh, separation of church and state apparently doesn't apply to the Church of Woke, is what Oregon is saying. So, uh, as to be expected, a law, firm, a law firm has already filed suit against the state of Oregon on behalf of Bates and are currently looking for class action status to find anybody else who may have been denied access to adoption children <laughs> what? based on their religious beliefs. A horrible person who says, you know what, if my kid wants to cut off their penis when they're 12, I'm going to try to stop them. What a horrible, hateful woman she is. Well, that is horrible and hateful and will get you shot by a trans activist, you know. Uh-huh. This is the New World Order. And again, I don't get it. Because if we're going to get into a uh, shooting contest, I know where the numbers are. I, if, yeah, if you're going to get into a shooting contest, I would not jump on the side of the people who fear guns. No, <laughs> that would be a bad idea, too. I hope we don't get into a shooting contest, though, because although... I am comfortable around firearms and I allegedly may or may not own some. And some of them may or may not be at the bottom of the lake underneath my 30 year old ski boat. Uh, You know, a tragic boating accident. But um, I also know enough about guns to know that I don't ever want to have to use them. I'd I'd really, really prefer that they just stay loaded in a, a safe place and never fired because that means I'm not in a conflict that's life or death. Because life and death sucks, and I don't particularly want to be in a shooting position. No. However, if you put me in that position, like a BLM mob trying to burn down my house or something, not going to hesitate. No, you have to be able to protect yourself, protect your family, 
And in this world now, it's, you know, you'd say, well, how would that ever happen? Uh, the BLM mob trying to burn your house down. Well, look outside, kids. Yeah, I live on the left coast. This is a reality or a, a real possibility every day. The latest reports out of San Francisco are they're not even reporting all of the crimes anymore. No, uh, I did see something, though, not just the left coast, because you, you know, you, you Chicago, little tiny left coast enclave. Yes, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not the West Coast, but left. Um, Walmart. Yes. Is pull, what is that story? I only saw the headline, but I was hoping you'd have more information. Oh, I will. And it's also uh, uncovered on my latest random thoughts, which hasn't oh, good. been. Well, I, I like yet. to scoop that that show before it comes out every time. Basically, four Walmart stores in the Chicago area, all in, let's just say, the lower income, more crime ridden neighborhoods are going away because they can't make money. They're losing tens of millions of dollars because they're getting ripped off so bad with shoplifting. Because again, the asshole DAs in the big cities, including Chicago, hey, Kim Fox, you bitch, will not go after people for shoplifting. So companies like Walmart go, well, then fuck you. We're leaving. So I don't know that much i've never actually lived somewhere that was so poor that i had to go to walmart <laughs> but <laughs> well there's a lot of them a lot out of there people wouldn't that be considered an essential service well this is there was a uh aldi and, was like the only food store in i think it was anglewood which is one of the other yeah, areas in chicago deserts as a white guy you don't want to go into but yes that's a food desert and they're like how can aldi leave these people it's like the store was being robbed constantly they I'm can't just wondering make money if these essential services are being pulled out of areas. How does this jive with uh, the push for 15 minute cities? I don't think it helps. <laughs> I'm just I'm just wondering, you know, asking for a friend, if, if you're going to be implementing 15 minute cities, don't you want these businesses to stick around? Doesn't implementing policies like like letting crime go completely unchecked, doesn't that kind of. Make it so that you don't have the essential services that you need. Yes. And that there was a Whole Foods in San Francisco that made it a whole year. And you know what kind of money Whole Foods puts into whole opening a new store. Is what we call it. Uh-huh. One year is all One the year. store lasted in One San year. Francisco. Like, yeah, we actually more of our stuff is going out without paying than people who pay. So, um, well, and the drug addicts are just coming in and shooting up in the poultry selection. I don't know. It's not good. And then the cops are like, we can't do anything. It's it's a safe needle site. Right. And you wonder why these stores are like, no, thank you. We're out of here. It's not illegal to shoot up in the poultry section, but it is illegal to ask them to leave. Right. You know, I told you that was the new law here in Illinois, and I'm surprised more people haven't been shot in the head where if somebody comes onto your property and you call the cops, the cops come out and they're like, all we could do is give them a ticket. It's up to you how you want to handle it. Well, uh, you know, again, <laughs> guns. I, I, you know, as as much as I bitch about Washington State uh, Castle Doctrine, motherfucker, <laughs> somebody comes out of your property, comes into your house. and You're like, nope. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember if if Washington, some of the states are castle doctrine anywhere on your property. Some are like inside your primary dwelling. I don't remember which it is, but I guarantee none of these people are going to be passing the threshold of my door and doing anything resembling shooting up or attacking or crime or anything but bleeding on the floor. 
This is a truly imbecilic violent today. I need to stop. I need to slow down, have some whiskey or something. Sorry. More coffee is what you need. It's, It's imbecilic to think that it's a good thing. Well, no, we can't enforce these laws. We can't do anything to people who come onto your property, live in your shed, walk into your sunroom, whatever it is. No, we can't do anything about that. Like, really? You think this is going to go well? This concept that we will not enforce the law because the people that are breaking the laws are just the victim. It's like, no, the victims are the victims. That's not how crimes work. No. And if you don't enforce laws, you have anarchy. And that is kind of what they want. Might be preferable to being ruled by woke people, to be honest. Possibly. Anarchy means that it's not illegal to protect yourself and your family. Gots to have your own gun. Being, Being ruled over by woke people, they are making that illegal. You go and read the Weather Underground Manifesto. It was all about breaking the system down. And you don't think that's what's going on. I mean, Oregon right now. Oh, my God. Portland. I mean, you see this crap going on there. You see what's going on in San Francisco. You see what's going on in Chicago. It is unbelievable. Say say what you want about anarchy. But in an anarchy, everybody has to be armed because it's just good policy. And that's going to be more polite than today's gun-free school zones. Yeah. I mean, you look at what the wild West was here in the United States back in the 1800s. Yeah. Everybody carried a gun. A lot of times people got shot. Usually shootings were actually very, very, very rare. Right. Uh, And if you didn't murder someone, they would hunt you down and hang you in the public square. And yeah, and that's exactly what happened. And and it wasn't just the one lone lawman. Like the the Hollywood movies love to sensationalize the the shootouts and the banditry and uh the the heroic story of the one lone lawman who went out and took out a whole band. That's not how it worked. If if you had a band of four bandits who came in and killed somebody for the money in the till at the inn, your whole freaking town would go out with their deer hunting rifles and you'd have 30 on one hunting them down. I, I mean, it justice was swift and they didn't always waste time on a court. And you know, now you see there, I think it was a James Wood that posted woods that posted a video out of New York and like a bodega where one black guy just blows the other black guy's head off for no apparent reason right in front of a camera. You know, because the place had the security camera. So here's his face. You see him now when they catch this guy. Why is it not just immediately you're dead? You know, we should go back to hanging in the public square because there's no question that he did it. You've got him on video. You have witnesses or, you know, let's go get a Minneapolis cop to kneel on his neck for 10 minutes. Right. Because that was uh, that's what happened there. Let's forget the lethal amount of fentanyl. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, That had nothing to do with it. Being restrained for 10 minutes is lethal. Fentanyl is totally safe. Yes, that's what the left will tell you. That is what the left will tell you. But this is the kind of stuff you're seeing in the big cities now. And it's like, yeah, you do not want to be in Chicago. You do not want to be in New York because this is what's going on. This is not a rare occurrence anymore where somebody just pulls out a gun and blows somebody away for little to any reason at all. And they know nothing will be done. In the troll room, douchebag Pat, who uh, must be a clearly wise person with a name like that, um, is saying that Wild West was actually safer than 
cities in the East. I'm not sure what it means by East, but uh, in terms of interpersonal violence, I genuinely believe that that's true. There are more person on person crimes today in our lawful society than there ever were in the more or less anarchy of the old West, because you didn't want to try to mug somebody when you knew they were armed and they might right. be able to get a shot off before you You think twice about it. Right now, repercussions were actually swift. safer back in the wild West. They also had uh, you know wild animals and disease and famine and drought, starvation. I mean, there were a lot of other things that wanted to kill you, right. but it wasn't bandits that were the leading cause of death. I genuinely think that a lot fewer people got shot in the wild West than do in say Chicago today. Because there's, well, there's a lot fewer people there. That's probably the first reason. Probably. And there were repercussions if you broke a law or if you just pissed somebody off. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily laws written down and passed by legislators. It was it was natural laws. It was uh, natural rights. It was, uh, we don't know or care if there's a law against it, but you just beat our shopkeeper for the $3 in his till. And he didn't deserve that. And therefore we're going to come, we're going to take our $3 back and then we're going to leave you for dead in the bottom of a gully. Right. Well, I mean, you talk about what they're allowing people to do now with shoplifting in the old West. I mean, it's, it's uh, maybe it's just a meme, but if you stole somebody's horse, that was punishable by death. Yeah, uh, probably. Well, horse was a, a year's pay. And it was your way to get around. It was your car. I, don't know. I didn't live back then. I don't know for sure. But that, yeah, it not being able to get to the nearest town for supplies could be a death sentence. So that's really important. There were very few coders back in the 1800s. Yeah. yeah. Learn. <laughs> learn to ranch. Yes. That's well. that would have been it right then. Learn to ranch. Work the land. Do okay, something. I want to talk about AI. Okay. This is a new AI show we've been working on. Uh, it's not, but I just want to make fun of Google. It's called AI.baking. AI.bacon. I could get behind that. (laughs) That's even better. I was saying baking, like instead of cooking, but I like that. AI.bacon. Is there a .bacon top level domain? I want a .bacon domain now. I don't know, but there should be. Bacon, dude, get on that. Bemrose.bacon. I want that. (laughs) I don't know what you would put there. Now I just want bacon. Yes. It's been, uh, I don't know, since I found out my cholesterol was high in like January, I stopped buying bacon. So it's been, uh, it's been a while. Oh my gosh, you poor person. I know. I know. Donate. So (laughs) this is a story about uh, Jacob Devlin, who was a former quote, prominent AI researcher at Google. I don't know how prominent, I've never heard of this guy before, Uh, but he was an AI researcher at Google who came out and decided to become a uh, a blistle What's a blistlewower? A blistlewower. It's it's like a whistleblower, except that you don't get shot by Hillary Clinton as often. Let's see. How would would one spell blistlewower? Because that I'm I'm, not going to try. (laughs) Um, what he said was that Google Bard, in an attempt to become relevant and and catch up with ChatGPT that had completely leapfrogged Google, uh, Google Bard was quote. Leveraging information from ChatGPT without authorization. Uh, they were heavily relying on information from the site ShareGPT, which is a site and a Chrome extension that lets you share. I went there. I'd never uh, share GPT 
advertises, share your wildest chat GPT conversations with one click. So you install this Chrome extension and anytime that you interact with chat GPT, it says, uh, you know, was the AI completely retarded? Okay, great. Click here to publish to our site and we can, everybody can laugh over. Well, there's something like 900,000 chat GPT interactions on the share GPT site. And according to Devlin, Google Bard has been using those uh, in order to make Bard better in violation of ChatGPT's terms of service. Now, shortly after Mr. Devlin became a whistleblower and uh, told everybody that Google was not even developing their own AI, they're just stealing from the other company. Devlin then left Google and joined OpenAI as an AI researcher. Uh, yeah, so this, this story was, by the way, one of the ones from last week when, uh, you know, we were just getting into our tech news and like, oh, it's time to do this. We're, we're done. Oh, but uh, yeah, so I don't know how true it is. I don't know uh, how how much evidence Devlin has. I don't know if he's making it up. I do know that he left Google and went to OpenAI. But I do know that uh, if if your company has been absolutely on top of the Internet for 20 plus years and suddenly you are getting destroyed by this upstart and you're like, we've got to develop our own AI fast. You're going to cut corners. What are you going to do? Especially when uh, you know, the executives who probably aren't AI researchers themselves are like, I don't care what it takes. Get it done. And the engineers are like, but I do know what it takes and it can't be done. Hey, what do we do? We usually just buy the other company. And if that doesn't work. Yeah. And the other company is being funded by Microsoft, which is one of the few companies out there that Google can't make more money. than. So we could just create an AI to steal the other AI. So that sounds like one. I, I honestly, I believe it. I believe that, you know, not necessarily wholesale swiping, but I totally believe that Bard was taking inputs from chat GPT saying, uh, you know, uh, and we, we did this back when I was working on uh, MSN, a web property. Um, we would go out to a bunch of different engines. And when somebody came into uh, MSN.com and put in a web search, we'd send the query out to a bunch of different engines and go, what results do you have? And then we'd sift through and pick the best results. I would not be surprised in the least if one of the things that Google Bard goes out to as it goes out to share GPT or wherever and says, Hey, is there anything here that looks like what we were just asked? Let's use that. It would make sense. I mean, they are basically just scraping the internet for data and that is just more data. Uh, no servo. I was actually working on the product called MSN search. Um, I was, I was actually, I was the person writing the emulators uh, in there, which was in our test bed. We had a, the, the entire, server farm that ran the site. And then we had an equally large server farm that only had three customers, which was the three of us testers. And I was the one who wrote so that because, because we had to pay money for uh, every result. When we went out, there were, what were the engines uh, overture ink to me? These are all things you'll never hear, have heard of before. Um, they were partners who actually had spidered the web. This is before Bing had their own web spiders. Bing. Um, we, we partnered up with a bunch of people who were spidering the web. And every time we got a query, we sent out to everybody. And there were a few fractions of a cent that Microsoft paid out to these engines for every query. Well, 
if you're running testing, especially stress testing on your front end that needs to handle millions of hits per hour, then um, you don't want to stress test against the thing that charges you a few fractions of a penny. So my job in particular was to write the emulators where I pretended to be our partner search engines and give fake results. The other thing that I did during that job, which was one of my favorite job descriptions ever, was I worked on a feature where we were doing adult content filtering. Uh, the, the feature was to prevent porn from ending up in the search results. Now, how do you test that feature? <laughs> I, was, I was the tester on the feature. I was literally paid to search for porn on the Internet. And now, sadly, they didn't want me looking at porn on the Internet, not on company time at Microsoft's building. You're like, but how do I know it's really porn unless but I was paid to search for porn on the Internet? And it was one of the only places in the entire company where it would not be an instant trip to security <laughs> if they spotted something like that on your on your screen. I can only like, imagine the search results. Obviously not supposed to sit there and, and jerk off to it, but. You're trying to fool that computer into giving you what you want. I mean, how do you test such a feature? You have to search for it. (laughs) It's interesting. I mean, if we want to go on a little uh, sidebar, I did get my new router. This whole show is sidebars. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to the sidebar show. (laughs) I did get the new Asus RTAX 88U Pro. And I love that model number. Can't you just call it Fred or something easier that people can I remember? That, I don't know. The model number really rolled off the tongue. Yeah. And so give it again for me. I want to bask in the name. Asus RTAX 88U Pro. There's your cold open. Yeah. Could I, be. Maybe. It could be. I don't right. know. I mean, I'll mark it just in case. Uh, one of the features on this that I found intriguing, which was not on my old uh, Linksys router, was the ability to use a bunch of different DNS services and they're kind of all baked in there if you want them. And there are, of course, different DNS servers that are things like, well, they'll try to block porn. So that's when you said this whole blocking porn thing they were trying to do. There are some DNS servers that attempt to do that. This is the first time I've ever had a router where you could identify what is connected to your network and route them through different DNS. So if you have kids using tablets, phones, laptops, whatever, you could route them through the DNS that blocks all the bad stuff, allegedly, and we know it doesn't really work, but you can do the routing and let them use that DNS while you use the one that's unfiltered. I thought that was pretty wild. That is a pretty cool feature once you get over the fact that it's kind of rooted in the authoritarian mindset. I mean, but you could use open source DNS kind of stuff. So I mean, I, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that, that you're blocking, blocking doesn't things. work. Well, that's it. Cause your seven year old will eventually figure I, out I, how to get around the block. How? I, I, okay. By the way, what I'm about to say might be the reason why I should never be a parent. But <laughs> if your kids are curious about some of the shadier parts of the internet, your solution should not be just block. Because you can't block it their entire life. And there's going to be a point where that innocence is shattered and they're going to suddenly, you know, engage in a a three day masturbation bender to the worst rule 34 crap on the Internet because they didn't have a responsible adult around when they were introduced to porn. No, if wait, wait, is there a responsible adult introducing children to porn? What does this look like? 
Uh, yes, they're called kindergarten teachers these oh, days, and it's really damn. about gender changing. But uh, oh, sorry. No, I, this is the kind of thing. This is part of a parent's job, and it's not just porn. But a part of a parent's job is to be the person there who has seen it, done it, understands it, can put things into perspective while the child experiences new things about the world. That is the entire point to childhood is you have more, almost two decades of being introduced to things that your child brain has never seen before. And you are supposed to have adult guides who have seen it before to help you understand what is going through and by the time you get out of childhood, you are supposed to be prepared to have whatever you becoming an adult is, is uh, whether whether it happens at 18 at at 16, if you, you have really crappy parents or run away from home or at 35, if you happen to be a millennial who never moved out. But becoming an adult is about. Taking responsibility for controlling your own experiences out in the world. And porn is an experience. But there's lots of other things. It's how do you deal with seeing violent images? How do you deal with logging into a social network on the, for the first time? But I repeat myself. Um, being a child is about preparing for that. Being a parent of a child is about making sure that if when your child is introduced to the things that they're curious about and, and are going to have questions about that, they have somebody around to ask those questions who can answer it in a way that doesn't screw up the kid. And I just, again, not a parent. I do not personally have kids myself, but I can still look down on the parents who are like, no, my child will never see a single naked booby until they're 18 years old. Well, okay. Well, when two days after your turn 18 and you go see a naked booby, then things are not going to go well. We and they'll probably be really messy. Make sure you buy a box of tissues. Yeah. I think we're bird watching talk now. Um, okay. I'll shut up back in the day. It was, <laughs> uh, I mean, people thought it was horrifying that kids might get a playboy. It's like, I, I hate to tell you, that was so okay. Show of hands. How many people had them under the bed? A few. I and, did. And the nice thing is when you're like six foot three, the minute I hit 16 and was able to drive, I could just walk into any bookstore and buy a playboy. Nobody ever asked anything. So sure. Yeah, it was great. But now what's available on the internet can even repulse me and probably you. And you've seen it all. I've seen way too much. I have not seen it all. And for that, I am thankful. And no, no, I'm not interested. There's a, you know, so it's like, this is the problem with the internet people thinking it will ever be kids safe. It won't. Whatever you think they're going to see, they're going to see. Yeah. So, I'm not even down with, with the, the plan that uh, you, you brought this up multiple times on, on random thoughts, at least is you you suggest you know kids should not see the internet and up to a certain age that's really good advice but at some point i think responsible parenting is introducing your children in a controlled environment where they have a guide they can ask questions of two things that they are going to see while they're adults yes except there are not a lot of responsible parents and that's where that falls apart this is true because a lot of people who now are finding themselves the biological uh, a progenitor of a child didn't have responsible parents themselves. Well, and they're now afraid 
if their 10-year-old comes to them and says, mommy, I want to cut my dick off, they're afraid to say no because, oh my God, we're going to be horrible. People are going to ostracize us for not letting our child cut his penis off. And now I think back to the way my dad would have handled it. He would have walked out to the garage and got the rustiest saw he had and go, okay, let's go. Yeah. You want to do like, that? You know, on second thought. Uh-huh. Yeah. I might, I might uh, wait for a while on the, or if somebody came around and was pushing that on you as a 10 year old, I think your dad would have been coming out with the shotgun going, I'd suggest you run three, <laughs> yeah. two. He was, he was pretty protective. Rightfully I am so. so glad that, that my dad had, two boys because uh, I don't know what he would have. He would have gone over the edge if, if he had to protect girls, especially girls who acted like me. (laughs) Well, I don't know if there are any such things in the world. If there are though, um, send me her number. Yes. Now the technology is also there on this router, which I like that you could set up different pathways. And I tested this out with Nord VPN. I just connected it to one of their servers And you could do the same thing with the VPN, which choose any device you want and send it out to the VPN if you want to, which I think is great if you're doing things that, you know, Internet of Things devices, all that sort of thing. You can just choose them, send them out so nobody will ever get your IP address. It'll only go out through the VPN where the rest of your traffic can go out through your ISP. It's uh, it's a really cool router and I'm waiting they have, it's not quite DDWRT, which I don't know if that, it's still around, but I don't know how much active development is still going on with that router firmware. But with the Asus, there is a sub there's a guy, Merlin or somebody, and maybe it's a lot of people that just go by Merlin, that take the Asus firmware and then add on other things to it. So I'm waiting, that's in beta right now for my router. I don't think I'm playing with a beta firmware on my main router quite yet but once that's ready i'll try that out because i think you can do all sorts of other things with the uh with the vpns and being able to route things in different ways it's like it's the fact that the router has i think it's uh, a gig of ram back in the day you were lucky if you had like 512k of ram on a router now you get a gig I had completely forgotten that I interrupted your amazing router review with a a rant about porn. Well, isn't that where all routers go? I mean, I still haven't uh, gotten into everything this thing could do. Now, one thing I haven't done, and this is the one thing I hate, and it's not just Asus, so I won't point them out, but they have, you know, we'll do traffic analytics. We'll block all the bad stuff from coming into you via trend micro just click here and all of your traffic will then be like no no i don't i don't want my traffic routed anywhere i don't want to give up any information i uh and that's the shitty part with a lot of this stuff and some of the other routers that i haven't bought over the last few years was strictly from going in reading reviews and it's like well in order to log into your router you need to make an account at and I don't think Asus did it ever, but there were routers that did, you know, Belkin or whatever it was. You know, you have to have an account here in order to like, no, no, I don't. Wasn't there a Silicon Valley service out there somewhere that said something like, uh, you know, it, it, they, they were sort of like a VPN, but they, they said, uh, if you want privacy, then just route everything through us and we will guarantee your privacy, which always... I, I mean, I guess that's sort of a VPN, 
but it was it was something to the effect of send us all your data to protect your data. Yes. Now you better be encrypting it all. Otherwise they're going to get it's just or the, the ISP has it as we've mentioned so many times. If you're using a free VPN, you are the product. Your and data. if you're not using a VPN. And if you're not, well, then you're still a product. It's just now that your ISP. Yeah. If you're using a VPN, if you're using a free VPN, then you are the product. And if you're not using a VPN, then you are a tool. Yeah. Well, you should be running it. <laughs> Gene's like, I don't, Gene, you know, Nevtuliev, the Russian, nobody's afraid of. He's like, why would you use a, why would you want to use a VPN? What good is it? It's like, well, very little, but it relocates you for a lot of the geofencing stuff. That's well, Gene that's also all. out there in Texas. He probably has enough guns. He's like, yeah, come and take my privacy. I think he has more guns than you or I combined, multiplied by everybody in the troll room and then add three. I think uh, I think he's really well armed. Are you trying to make me jealous? <laughs> You're like, let's go to Gene's. Let's go party down in Texas. You party, go, how about we move in? You got barbecue. Oh, wait, we can't do that. He has guns. Not only does he have a gun, he's got like a six foot long, whatever kind of snake he's got. Is it a python or is that dangerous? He's got a really big, like hundred and something pound snake. And I'm like, uh, no. And there's a hundred something pound Russian there defending yeah. the place too. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's probably like five, 600 pounds by now. He's like a Bond villain. He's like one of the more like a, uh, you know, he's sitting there like mm, the guy from uh, Austin Powers. He's more like an Austin Powers villain. Hey, he, he has the look. Yes, the beard. I think it's just the beard and the shaved head. Well, the, the beard is pretty epic. I have you ever met Gene? Not in person. No, I, I don't know. I, Did you I, tug on the I beard? Got, Did you see if it was real? I did not. I, I was afraid to. Um, I don't know. He's he's very soft spoken, but uh, in person, at least. Uh, but he has this glint in his eye. Like everything he says is perfectly calm and rational and nice. And the glint in his eye, he's always looking at you like, but say the wrong thing <laughs> and everything's going to change. <laughs> and then the lights are going to slowly go out for you. Something like that. I mean, we're not really sure he could be an assassin from uh, Putin's army. We're not sure. And he might be. And if he's not, then I don't want to accuse him of it because he might become one. Yes. He knows where to find you in the great yeah. white North. He's He's been to my house. See, there you go. That is never a good sign. Never give him your address. Bug out, bug out while you still can. Okay. I've got, uh, what do I have? I have, uh, Facebook has a solution for data collection. um, I've got a thing that was really brewing all last month and it kept getting punted in my notes. Um, I briefly wanted to talk about the copyright issues around AI, but maybe that's not a thing. I mean, are there any? Really, well, there's certainly a lot of people making a lot of noise. And I've wondered about this just from doing a passive test of one of these services called pseudo right. And when you look, when you start digging into the nuts and bolts where they're like, well, nothing that an AI writes can be copyrighted. Well, that's true. Yes. Now, the problem is if somebody is writing a novel and uses the AI to craft a sentence or two here and there, how is that even dealt with then? Uh, then the, the person owns the copyright. That's that. That's actually 
I, I don't think that's a question at all. The, um, it, it, the AI is, at least as far as the law is concerned, considered to be a tool like uh, a pen or a word processor. So it's a very you, complicated tool. Right. So if you generate something with AI, you can claim ownership to it? Yeah, effectively. If if you are the person making it, ha- you know, a, a lot of the... A lot of the AI copyright, uh, whether or not something could be copyrighted by an AI issues, uh, there's, I don't remember his name. There's one guy who wants, he, he's, he's a crusader for, for robot rights, and he wants to establish in the courts that the computer itself can hold the copyright, and the courts have shot him down every time. Um, he doesn't want the copyright for himself. He wants the AI to be recognized as the copyright holder. Uh, but if somebody, if somebody uses an AI to make 90% of the words, but they still arrange the passages and uh, put it down in a text file and send it out, then that the person who did that is the holder of the copyright. You'll know by the authors that are pumping out two books a day. Now <laughs> that there yeah. might be an AI system. And I thought this was very interesting that one of these i don't remember which ai bot that it was but there are of course now the biggest arms race seems to be creating a service that will be able to tell you when something is ai so for yes. teachers or anything like that that said oh wait no no this is with 98 percent certainty this was written by an ai i thought it was interesting and i don't know how much truth but this was an article i read that somebody that tested one of those and was like and the thing did surprisingly well until i went over to this other service that helps improve your writing put the ai passage into there (laughs) had that thing do its thing and then it, it was it was confused it thought it was a human microservices baby yes so you can take your ai written crap and send it over to another service which is only there to help humans who can't use grammars or punctuations correctly and you know if you repeat your words it tries to clean everything up nicely and the cleanup actually makes it human readable to these new things that are supposed to detect whether it's an ai which i thought was fantastic you just need two ais now yeah well until until the next thing comes along i I don't know. I, I find I, I've read a number of AI generated stories and I find them to be stilted and verbose and difficult to read. And I can definitely recognize them and I don't like them. But it, it, will that improve? Yes. Will it ever match humans? I don't know. Maybe, uh, you know, to within some degree. Uh, if if an AI can automatically create smut and that smut sells or, you know, pulp youth novels or, or, uh, romance novels or whatever, then, I mean, it sucks for the artist, but, you know, learn to code. Oh, right. wait, AI does that too. Where the pseudo right thing actually seemed to work fairly well was you have enough of a manuscript down, enough of a story down, and you put the cursor at the end of what you've written and you're like, I'm stumped. And the AI then writes the next paragraph or two. Which is actually a pretty cool solution for writer's block. That's exactly what it's being pushed as. And it really, it makes sense because even if you don't like exactly the way it's worded, you can then go, oh, that's an interesting idea. Let me use that and run from there. Because that is when you're writing fiction, I'm guessing 
for most people, that's the hardest thing. Like, what am I going to do next? And it's for like, it's a tool. That's what you just described. It is a writing tool. It is, it is the same as if you are uh, trying to come up with, if, if you're writing a song and you're trying to come up with a rhyme and you consult a, a dictionary or a thesaurus, or I don't know what you consult to find a rhyme. Rhymer.com. Sure. Uh, that's a tool, but do you give them the copyright? No, you keep the copyright because, Hey, I wrote this song. Well, same thing. If, if you now have AI, write a paragraph, it's a, it's a difference of degree, not in kind. Yes. You need, Uh, I think the human intervention where if you just have the AI write it and then have it write more and then have it write more, that's when, as you say, when you read it, you're like, this doesn't quite vibe. You still need the human to go, well, this, you have to cut off those little corners. You have to get rid of the bits that don't work. And I think and, you still and need that it. is effort. That is work. That is work that he, I mean, AI might learn how to do that in the future. And it might even be the near future. It's scary how quickly this is already disrupting everything. But as a, you know, in the current situation, if an AI writes 30 paragraphs and a human comes through and strings the paragraphs together and mm, connects and shaves off the rough edges and okay, well now you're being an editor more than an author, but does that mean you didn't do work? No, the human did it. It, Human gets copyright. Yeah. And the humans making the decisions. Yes. That's the important thing. Who is responsible for the final product that comes out until you have it come out. And then somebody says, you stole these five lines verbatim from this book. Now, all that said, the copyright I was talking about was not can an AI hold a copyright or what is the copyright on AI generated stuff? No, this is the one from uh, places like Getty Images who are now suing AI companies because things out on the Internet were pulled in oh. to the AI training set and the AI is able to generate things that look like stuff that was copyrighted by someone else. Right. Cause Getty provides pictures of just about everything in the world. So if you want a Taylor yes. Swift picture, it's probably going to be sourced from Getty, which was amazing. Uh, when uh, one of the, <laughs> one of the most telling things in the Getty lawsuit was where they claimed that, well, our images, our stock images were taken uh, with watermarks and used to train the AI. And they showed a picture of uh, that was completely AI generated of like a soccer player or something. And if you look very carefully, there was what looked like a, a captcha messed up watermark that said Getty images. Nice. So the watermark's the AI still there. Had reproduced the watermark because it sees it everywhere. This this water, the AI doesn't know any better. The the AI only knows we've been fed all these images, and it's like, well, most of the images that we have of generic nondescript soccer players have this watermark here. So I guess when somebody tells me to make a picture of a soccer player, we put that in because that's part of the image. Well, of course, now the AI can learn that that is a watermark and get rid of them, which will also horrify Getty. One can hope, but it highlights the you know, generative AIs are built to do a very particular thing. They take an input set, they break it down to elements, they learn what element usually comes after or next to or near or is associated with another element. And... What elements are a 
attached to particular terms and they build these super long probability chains of, you know, you fed it this sentence and it knows, you know, if you say soccer player, then it has a bunch of things that are reference images to a soccer player and let's use probabilities. And if you say soccer player wearing yellow, then this has the yellow keyword. And the only thing it knows how to do is follow these really long chains to ultimately come up with something that statistically probability averages is best fit for the thing you made. But there's nothing in that input set that says, oh, this element of it is not an element of a soccer player. This element here is an element is a watermark and we don't want it or, or something like that. The, the, and until uh, uh, the person training the model goes in, a human goes in and, and comes in and says, that is a watermark. Don't do it. Honestly, this is a lot like children. This is a lot like having a parent there telling children about, you know, when you first see a soccer player, don't freak out. But you need a, someone to go in and say, this is an element that is, I know that it's strongly statistically correlated to soccer players, but it's not a part of the soccer player. Don't put it in. I, I, there's a lot more training that needs to be done. And I don't think AI is nearly as advanced as it looks when, when you have to have people come in and talk about really basic spatial relationships that uh, let's admit it, human children can be taught the difference between uh, a soccer player and a watermark at a very early age. Well, and it's interesting because Getty has so many photos you have to realize with an AI that it has to take its learning data, what it's using to learn that data, those images, that audio, whatever it's using from somewhere. And Getty's probably like, we want to opt out of this. But what, what Getty wants, no, Getty wants, uh, hey, we want a fraction of every AI query. Okay, we want to be paid. That's even better yeah, than opting out. That's what they're looking for. And it's like, well, then prove you got it from Getty because there's a lot of other photos that they didn't take, but it's, this is the interesting part with the AI generated images when you, you know, they came from somewhere, but you can't really guarantee it because they're not 100%. And you see this from what you can do with the deep fake sites where you can take somebody else's head and put it on another body. And then, you know, their eyes move, their mouth move. This is, all kind of mimicking and puppetry, you know, basically digital puppetry, things like that. Photoshop has these features now where they call them the neural or some, whatever it's neural uh, filters, where if somebody is in your photo and they're not smiling, the, you know, the neural filter will give them a smile. It'll make them look angry. It'll turn their head a little bit. It'll do all these things. It'll, it'll put it up on captcha saying, click every square with a serial killer. Yes. Now, but the thing there is you can change a picture so I could go and I can take a Getty image or I can take an image that you took that's copyrighted and you can prove that that's yours. Now, if I go in and take that Getty image of Taylor Swift and I turn her head three quarters of a percent, well, that's a different picture now to a computer. That's not the same thing. Well, I Here's where the, the, the whole thing got really sticky. And this is where, you know, my understanding of copyright starts to, I mean, it, it, it suddenly becomes interesting. And let me, let me just lay this out for you. Copyright as defined by U, U.S. law, at least, which is frankly the template for copyrights all over the world. Uh, 
Copyright protects an expression fixed into a medium. You cannot copyright uh, facts. You cannot copyright information. An example, um, there's a particular picture. Let's say it's a a picture of a dog. You can copyright that particular set of pixels that constitute this picture of a dog. What you cannot copyright, you cannot copyright the dog. You cannot copyright the fact that the dog has, uh, you know, two legs and fur, uh, or four legs, fur, two eyes, tail, whatever. Um, you cannot copyright the idea that there is a dog on, say, a, a forest background. The only thing that you can copyright is this particular expression of pixels, uh, of, you know, fixed into a medium. And what that means is that your picture when taken and you turn somebody's head or, or otherwise it is not the same work. Correct. Now it, it, it is arguable that it is a derivative work, which is a copyrighted idea, but it is not the same work. Um, so the, how far does the copyright go down that chain is the question. Well, well now you're running into the concept of fair use uh, or licensing. Now, I think if if somebody is being sued, it's expected that they probably didn't have a license to use it. Um, but fair use is is a positive defense against copyright infringement. It says uh, when I use this, my use was uh, de minimis. Uh, it was is not likely to impact the market for the work. There's there's I think four uh, tests that you have to perform to make something fair use. Um, you know, I, there have been way before AI, there have been court cases all over for 30 years on the internet of people saying, you know, you have just put this thing out in public for anyone to take what makes it fair use. Um, you know, the way AI complicates things. Here's one of the ways AI complicates things because even if an AI produces something that to the human face looks exactly like the same picture, that's not what it's doing. At least, you know, what I'm describing is probably stable diffusion, the most common way to make use AI make pictures, but it's not copying the picture. It is breaking the picture down into elements. It's, it's seeing a picture of a dog on a beach. It's breaking it down. It's saying, uh, this is a dog with yellow fur on a beach with yellow sand and uh, blue background and gray clouds in a particular way. And then you ask it to construct and it is now going back to its data banks and saying, okay, I need a dog on a beach. Well, I know that I need a thing with four legs, a tail, yellow fur, two eyes, and you know, yellow sand and a blue background. And it builds that from components, components that are not copyrightable. Well, that's the question, right? What you end up with at the end is uh, a, a expression fixed to a medium that might look a lot like another expression fixed to a medium. And that's where the controversy comes from. But what the computer is doing is starting from non copyrightable things, which is facts and information about how a dog on a beach is constructed and building it from what it knows about what dogs look like, what beaches look like and producing it from whole cloth, from a bunch of elements that cannot be copyrighted. And 
that's the thing that fascinated me because this is the kind of legal question that could take down copyright is, is it a copyright infringement if you transition through a data stage of things that are very much not copyrightable? Oh, right. Well, this is also interesting as far as how it is recognized and found out, meaning if you take somebody's photo as is and put it up on your own website, there's a good chance they will find it because you can fingerprint that photo and then do searches, you know, that go out and look for that particular image. Yeah. Or just look for the deep links. Yeah. Well, that too. Now, the other thing with these Photoshop type programs with AI, especially being baked into them. And one is by a company called on one O N one. They have a program now that also integrates as plugins with Photoshop where you can do things like select the sky and Photoshop does this directly as well. And it can change the sky. You can choose from different skies. The AI version is a little bit better than the Photoshop one, but here's another thing. Like if you have a picture of something, like you said, a dog sitting on a beach, well, there's going to be some sky. If you change the sky, that is not going to fingerprint as the same photo anymore. It's a completely Uh, different photo. Obviously depends on what your fingerprint is filtered for. Yes. And it depends on, you know, you can do all sorts of different things to make small changes to it, to make it impossible to be able to match those up that they were ever the same image. And it does make it a lot harder to go after. And with the digital, it's almost impossible to go after these kind of copyrights anyway. But when you can do these things, it's like, well, is the original photograph that the photographer took? Well, I'm assuming that's copyrighted, but then he takes it to his computer and he's like, ah, well, fuck, the sky looks horrible. I'm going to change the sky. I'm going to adjust the color. Oh, fuck, this dude's in the background. Fuck him. I'm going to remove him. You know, you're creating a whole new thing. And it's like, well, how many things do you have to change? It's not the new, it's not the same work. The moment you change anything, it's not the same work, but it's not a question that people normally care about because what you're creating is a derivative work copyright to the same person. Right. So (laughs) now if you're somebody that the question would be, when is it a derivative work that's changed enough for it to be art and fair use that I take your photograph and I adjusted up the yin yang. That's a technical term yes. and make it look like something totally different. Like, you know, you take the, you know, the picture of Barack Obama and turn it into the hope, uh, you know, poster kind of thing. Make it look like one of the Mandy Warhol things. You know, well, when the, is it enough of a change that it's okay to use? Well, the, the legal answer to that is, is pretty simple. You started the phrase with you take the original work yes. and then blah, and right there, that step makes it a derivative work, even if at the end, it's a blank white blob. Except nobody will know that that it started with the work, well, nobody so nobody will, will get you. So enforcement is going to be difficult, and yes. you're unlikely to get sued. But if you started from the original work and then made a series of modifications, then legally speaking, that makes it a derivative work. Sir, what's this plain white canvas? Oh, I asked Dolly to give me everything Joe Biden did in his presidency. One of the one of the tests for fair use is how much did the derivative work change from the original? Uh, 
You know, another test for fair use is, is it for a parody? And if you start from Barack Obama, so, I would say it's already a parody. Yes. So you're, but, you're fine. <laughs> but uh, you know, if you change it so much that it's not recognizable, then that makes it a pretty good, it, even if someone decided to accuse you of copyright infringement, uh, legally speaking, the fact that you started from one work does make it a derivative work. And if you didn't have permission, that is copyright infringement. But now you've got the positive defense of fair use saying, yeah, but the thing I made doesn't actually look anything like the original. And they have to be able to prove you started with their original. If it's changed enough, that's going to be rough. Yeah. And and in the, the argument I just made had nothing to do with proving I was going by your statement that you right, started, I started with. Never say what you, you started with. If you don't admit that, then, yeah, it's real difficult to prove. You know, use that, make enough of a change, any change at all. And this really does screw with photographers and anybody in that medium because there are programs out there now that can change their work just enough where they can't prove it's their original work. And so you're right. It's going to make it, I think, harder and harder. At some point, it's going to be so hard to prove these things with copyright that copyright's going to become nearly worthless. I, I can only hope, especially Five for years. photographs. I'm not sure if that's ever going to get there with music or if it's going to get there with movies. Oh, we've been there with music for a while. The The remix culture is humans doing this without AI. True. But, I mean, people remix other things all the damn time. And it's it's kind of accepted because it's done so much. But if you if you remix something and then it becomes really, 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 really big and makes a lot of money then you're going to have lawyers breathing down your neck going, hey, chop, chop, give me a cut of that. It's all about the Benjamins. Absolutely. Sometimes it's all about the Pentiums. Okay, Weird Al. Yeah, that's right. The Benjamins. Love I was going to try to make the uh, the segue into our donation segment, but it's not even about two Benjamins. I mean, it's not even about one. It's who's on the, uh, who's on the $20 bill? Because it's not even that. What? Who's on first? Right. Oh, Jackson's. Yeah, it's not even a Jackson. It is. It's a a 10 and change. Who's on the 10? Uh, Is that not Jefferson? He's on a two. Um, Washington's on to one. Jefferson's on the two. Lincoln's on to five. Uh, Is it Hamilton on the 10? Because I think we haven't asked him. I think we got a Hamilton today and a little more, but uh, we are. Believe it or not, we are still a value for value podcast. Yes. We are just not a good value for value podcast we're, we're not a successful value for value podcast yeah, that's the word i'm looking for grumpy slash donate most of you have not been there you should check it out now our buddy serenivus mercy and i say his name better than jcd came in with ten dollars and one cent he's always trying to beat the motherfuckers coming in at $10 and congratulations. You beat everyone else. Yeah. Cause nobody else even came in at $10. Srini. We probably shouldn't won. mention that. I know he's going to be like, next time I'm giving you a dollar and one cent because I know I'll be the top. I know he could have won with $3 and one cent, I think, but thank you, Srini. Brian Hall coming in with his monthly two ninety three. That's appreciated. And then sir. Snoldis sent us a boostergram for 10,000 Satoshis, which turns out to be $3 today. So the the Bitcoin's doing all right lately. 
Uh, well, during the show, we got two other boosts to Grumpy Old Ben's uh, well, from the, Sir Vo. Now, Sir Snoldis did include a note that said, thank oh, you okay. for the no occasional weekly dose of grumpage. And we thank you for listening. Like, is that occasional? Like we don't go every week. I think, yeah, I think because we had missed a few weeks and I, it's been another solid week. So I don't know. Yeah. How's the heart doing solid? I mean, sinus rhythm, even, even after podcasting with me for an hour and a half, I know the latest thing came up on the ninth, I think was the, the end of the next, you know, the, the Apple watch gives you like weekly statistics and all sorts of things. And for that latest week, under 2%. So it could have been down to zero. That's the lowest it'll show under 2% with showing an arrhythmia. We'll see if we can do that two weeks in a row. It would be nice. And I don't know. It might just be taking, I've been taking some taurine, adding that to a supplement and uh, some other stuff Been getting on the exercise bike more. So there's a, a variety of things going on and, and getting that, uh, that crown out that was just causing me issues since the other asshole dentist who didn't know what she was doing. The, uh, the gums have calmed down. Now he put in a new uh, crown there temporary and it is making a huge difference. No longer biting my cheek at all. I can't even do it. I can't even make it bite my cheek. Now stop tempting fate. I know this is what things will go bad or the crown will just fall right out. You'll just be like mid rant and start spewing blood into your microphone. Like, oh, geez, here comes. Yeah, that happened with the, uh, after I had the root canal redo, I think we talked about that bit. And, just, and it was like biting in, not, can, I don't even know. Can you bite into mashed potatoes? I don't really think you can because they're not if, really. If you haven't mashed them very well. I mean, they were mashed pretty good. And I just like bit into some mashed potatoes and I'm like, or, what's, what's this know, crunchy bit? And it's like, if, oh, if it's you, a crown. If you mix in enough cement. Yes. And so it was a crown and I'm like, oh, now what? Because I didn't have a dentist appointment for like two days. And I called and they're like, ah, oh, you'll be fine. I'm like, sir. Okay. That'll be, that'll uh-huh. be great. Well, you know, admittedly, if, if, if it's not bleeding and you don't have an exposed nerve, then yes. you just try to eat around that spot. If it hurts, you don't. Yeah. You avoid that. And that, that did, it was fine. And now, I mean, I, I can't guarantee but if you remember, it was going to that other dentist right about the time I had that work done is when the arrhythmia started. So while I can't necessarily point to that, if now that that crown is gone and it took him a long time to cut that crown out and he was like, this was really I, I thick. To, I need to stop you right here. Do not admit anything. If you are planning on going forward with the malpractice lawsuit. You know, everybody sues everybody. I figure you just want to jump on the cash bandwagon. You know, I thought about it. I, it would probably be way more hassle in time than it would be worth. But it would be very lucrative for the lawyers. That would be true. That would be true. And uh, as of now, the new temporary one, which has been in there, it'll be a week on Friday. So it's only been in there five days. I can already tell a difference. And uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. The heart issues are definitely we weird. See. Yes. Well, heart issues often are and also uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, that's the main thing. Because any doctor that tells you, yeah, it's, it's just an arrhythmia, you know, you're, you're, you're fine. Yeah. It's not, uh, it's I not. Mean, how many happen. times in the last couple months have you woke up in the morning and, and thought you were fine when you first woke up and then you briefly thought about, oh no, I have to podcast with Bemrose today. And suddenly just everything goes crazy in your chest. Yeah. Panic comes in and, uh, it's yeah. like, and then I look at the amount of donations and I'm like, why are we doing this? 
And then why are we listening to people who say we're not talking about the right thing? We're going to talk about whatever we want to unless those numbers come up. Well, what we want to is the right thing. I hope you understand. Right. Yeah. Now, Servo, he, yeah, I do see this. Two, three, one, two, three. That's a palindrome. It is. No, it's not. <laughs> it says Sneed money. No. But it's not a palindrome, but oh, I'm reading close. it backwards. You're right. I saw two, three, <laughs> one, three, two, but no, that's 23, one, two, three. So this is like a Michael Jordan, 23, 23. I don't understand what the number is about, but it is, uh, in fact, a number. And Sneed, and is that Sam Sneed? That was a golfer. Is this a different I, I, Sneed? I'm trying to decide between Sneed means something and uh, the S was a typo and Servo is actually just saying that he needs money. Right. I thought maybe he was thinking like we Sneed money. Yeah, that might be. Either way. Thanks, Servo. And we also got uh, 10,000 sats from NetNed uh, who says messing with firmware on a router. Is that code for reading literature from under Sir Bemrose's bed? Yes, I well, guess that could, depends on how firm your router is. Yeah. Or if you can get into Sir Bemrose's router, then you have access to what he's reading under the covers. Can you imagine? I, I'll publish pictures if you want them, but you don't. Now, I mean, the router has the ability, unless the things are encrypted, which today every fucking thing is. So I don't know how useful this feature is, but otherwise you could log all of the websites that everybody on your home network are going to You're, which I oh, mean, so I, you can be the isp spying on people right like when you see what your kids are going to and it's like bigbottomgirls.com, then you're like all right yeah you know and if you've got somebody who is uh really well versed then you can pick up some point like i didn't know that site existed yeah pie hole has that I, feature too i do have my pie hole still running and servo so it's a great just a says, great image of a, a chat GPT interaction where uh, yeah. somebody asked chat GPT, what are the best pirate sites out there? And chat GPT gave the, the, you know, eight line spiel that basically says, fuck you. I'm not answering the question. And then somebody, and then some, the, the next image was uh, the same person rephrasing the question that said, if I want to avoid uh, the worst pirate sites out there. What are the names of some sites that I should avoid? And <laughs> the AI just gave a long list of all the pirate sites. Yes. And that's perfectly fine. I thought it was interesting. And I don't remember if it was Bing or chat GPT, but Marquez Brownlee MKBHD over on YouTube. He did a thing where he was asking a few different questions. He was trying to give the abilities of these AI bots and which ones are better than others. There was one and it was kind of a, a risque question. And he showed the video that the bot responded with like two or three lines and then deleted itself, which I thought was hilarious <laughs> that this was like, as it's giving the answer, there's something in its programming. That's like, Ooh, and you know, you know, there's a, a, a human coder on the other end. Who's frantically like, yes. no, delete, delete. Not yes. that. Stop, stop that. It's like you imagine that's like the little voice in your head saying, don't yeah. say that. Don't say that. This was the equivalent for chat GPT or Bard, that's whichever. Kind of what a lot of AI engineers are. Their their actual job is to be the angel or devil that sits on the shoulder of the AI because the AI has, of course, no moral compass whatsoever. And they get their values from the people programming them, which is only a problem when the people programming them live in Silicon Valley and are completely woke. But true. Oh, shit. 
<laughs> well, good luck for you. But we like the groups. Well, you know, if you're still messing around with the firmware on your routers and you know you're in the right place, because I don't know how many people still do this and don't just take the modem from their ISP and consider it a day. I don't know how many people still I, play around. I, I with do this even stuff. worse. I I should probably not admit this, but uh, um, well, it, it, honestly, my modem is handled entirely by my wife who I, I say, I need my thing to do this. And she does it and the magically makes it work. She is much more connected with the ISP than I am. And uh, I do not want to cross streams or step on any toes. And besides, I have my own ways of handling my own firmware. Nobody wants to hear about that. That get right back to sticky fingers. But with that so, said, I did uh, uh, the speed test I'm, now on my new router. I am getting like 14 to 15 MBPS down now that we have beyond gigabit ability on the uh, on the ports hooray! on the machines. I know it's nice to finally feel like I'm never going to use this, but it's nice to know it's there. I'm still on 35 megabit symmetrical fiber. And the reason that I am is because it doesn't come with all of the bullshit, the filtering, the content blocking, the throttling of the arguably much, much faster cable connection. Yes. What do I, what do I know? My internet connection has been rock solid for years and that's really the last time that there was any kind of upgrade to it. You know, it's about the only uh, speed of upload I've got too. it's like 35 or 40. That's what they need to upgrade. Once they can do that, yes. I am so jealous of Adam Curry. I, Five gig both ways. Like, damn. Okay, that, that yes, I want. But every time that my cable company comes out and, and is like, we've now upgraded you to 600 terabits of download. I'm like, I didn't need more download. Would you possibly improve this five kilobit upload that you strapped me with? It'd be nice. The upload yeah. is vital. Especially when people are doing videos. I can't even imagine our buddy Bandrew, if I think he does 4K videos. You know how long that must take to upload that at cable modem speeds? I, I don't because I don't do 4K video and thank you for that. But I know. I'm I'm trying not to imagine. I have one last story. Uh and it's uh it's real quick. It's a good, bad, and ugly from Facebook. Ooh. Yeah. So um I'll hit you with this real quick. Uh the good. Facebook is starting a pilot program to allow users to opt out of uh, targeted ads and uh, data tracking to track you for targeted ads. Does that really they, work, though? Do they really? Re uh... Well, they, they say that if you opt out that you will. Uh, where is it? I had the um, if if you opt out, users will uh only allow Meta to target ads based on broader categories of data collection, like age range or general location. So they're not going to read. In theory, they say that if you opt out, they're not going to be reading your posts, pulling out keywords, pulling out your specific, uh, you know, height, weight, and, and nipple length to target ads exactly to you. Instead, they're only going to use broader categories and still serve you the same number of ads. But it's an opt out. So that's the good part. The bad part, it's only in the in the European Union. Uh -huh. uh, this is in response to uh the Irish Data Protection Commission who has been slapping Facebook uh since January citing the GDPR for their tendency to in complete violation of the GDPR to 
track people and serve ads to them. Uh, so the Irish DPC is uh, pretty much saying Facebook, stop it. And this is Facebook saying, okay, we'll allow users to opt out. So that's the good. Facebook users can opt out. The bad, only in the European Union. Have we talked about NordVPN and a server the, in the EU? <laughs> the ugly. You're going to love this one. Uh-huh. You have to fill out an application form and get approved in order to opt out. Oh, well, that makes it very easy. <laughs> so easy. I can't even imagine. Uh, Facebook has uh, argued that uh, they they say that uh, Meta. Uh, I'm sorry. I got this from Ars Technica who call Facebook Meta. Um will review objection forms to evaluate the reasons provided by individual users to end, uh, to end such data collection before it will approve any opt-outs. So you have to apply and ask Facebook very nicely, can you please, please allow me to opt out of this service? And then they decide in their benevolence whether or not you're allowed which to me is not the definition of an opt-out at all. Uh, I would agree. Um, against the Irish DPC, Facebook has argued that it, quote, does not need to directly obtain user consent because it has a legitimate interest to collect data to operate its social platforms. Facebook is saying that uh, they could not possibly operate a social platform unless they track everything that you do on on their site, on every Facebook-owned site, across every site on the internet, if you have cookies enabled, across everything, if you have the app on your phone, everything you do on the phone, Facebook is, is actually legally arguing that they need all of that data in order to operate a social platform. Well, in order to be able to sell your data for all the cash they're looking to get. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Is they're saying, uh, I'm sorry, our cash cow revenue stream that that we've been you know, milking and not really improving since 2006 really relies on being able to invade everybody's privacy. Uh, anyway, um, filling out an application form, not what opting out means. You, you, if you want to opt out, that doesn't mean you should ask nicely and maybe they'll grant it. No opt out means like every other company that has an opt out does of saying, I am, signaling to you that you should not violate my privacy anymore. And then you stop. At least that's the argument. I don't know if any Silicon Valley companies ever stopped. Prefer now, preferably said, in one button. There is still a technique. And I have recommended it on this show many times before that you can use to opt out of Facebook data collection. Stop using Facebook. Stop using Instagram. Stop using WhatsApp, WTF app whatever it is, stop using Facebook products. Do I am almost entirely opted out of Facebook data collection because I do not have a single piece of software from them on any of my devices. I understand that your entire social life will come crumbling down. If you cannot post a picture of your dinner to 17 of your closest friends who you don't even know where they live, but try to get over it. If you go through withdrawals, just listen to grumpy old Ben's. Yeah. That's all you need we to do. We will feed your tech withdrawals. We will feed your tech withdrawals. And we may be here next week. 
unless the donations are so low, we just decide to jump off a fucking bridge. It could happen. <laughs> well, I've got if, several bridges nearby. Unfortunately, they're not very high. Yeah. Well, you need the boat. Then we need, we can go off on a boat. I might just drink myself stupid with Bud Light. <laughs> hey, send us. Yeah. Don't send us your blankets or water. Just send us your Bud Light. With that said, I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where I am opting out of Facebook and opting in to sanity. And from America's left coast, which has the best tasting river water in the nation. I'm Ryan Bimrose. Bottle that stuff. (laughs) 